Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Melissa Duer. So, Melissa, I was thinking before we get into what you have done as an ordained UCC minister and certified grief counselor, for those who may not be familiar with the United Church of Christ, the UCC, which, to be honest, I know I've heard of it. But before I started preparing for this interview, I was like, hmm, I wonder what makes the UCC unique, and I I had to Google it myself. Could you please give our listeners just a quick overview? Sure. The UCC is the far left progressive side of Protestantism. It's always had this progressive lens of, I think it was the first male black minister, the first ordained women minister. And in 1957, there were four different congregations that came together. But one of our founders were the Congregationalists who were the pilgrims. So we go way back. (laughs) But now we're here as it's one of the smaller denominations, but it is very passionate about inclusive theology, right? We have this radical stance that, that says God loves everyone. <laughs> so that's that's where we are. God loves everyone, no matter their sexual orientation, how they self-identify, the color of their skin. And what else would you put in there? We call that our open and affirming designation. So yes, there are women clergy, there are gay clergy. We try to be inclusive of everyone, regardless of their mental capabilities, sexual orientation gender preference, it's all in there because we believe that we are all the beloved of God. It's really beautiful. And you mentioned 1957, just again, for those who may not be familiar with UCC, the UCC was formed in 1957. So it's a quite a young denomination. It was formed in Cleveland, Ohio, and it involved the merger of the Evangelical and Reformed Church and the Congregational Christian Churches. And I believe there are about a million members today. Is that about right? Correct. That was what Wikipedia told me. So just <laughs> wanna... ground right. truth that. <laughs> the, the merger of these four traditions is what brought us together. So, Melissa, there are obviously a lot of people who join churches 
but only a small handful of them decide to become ordained. When and why did you want to become a minister? Well, it was very much tied to my grief journey with my mother. And when I was with her at her deathbed, I was recognizing this very sacred space and I could feel an energy, a presence of God. And it, it just, it deepened my faith. And having that moment of saying goodbye to her was profound. And, you know, I walked into her bedroom and at this point she wasn't able to speak after a 14 year battle with breast cancer. And I, I kissed her goodbye, you know, one time for each of my children. And I said, I am going to make sure that the kids remember you and you will always be Nan and always a part of their life. And then, of course, I've apologized for being 12, something she never had forgiven me for because I was such a difficult adolescent. And then I said, don't forget to blink the lights, which is what her mother had done when she passed away. Days later, the lights started blinking. And my mom said, has that ever happened before on that chandelier? I'm like, no. She's like, that's my mom. She's in heaven. And we went on. So I said to her, don't forget to blink the lights. So after I got the phone call that she had passed away on December 26th, right after Christmas, I came back to my parents' home and there was this beautiful grapevine tree that was covered in 2,500 sparkling lights that was out in the yard. And I was in my mom's bedroom and I was talking to her and it felt so surreal because she had just been there. And then a strand of light started blinking at me and I called my dad and I said, Dad, you have to come in here and see this. And it was such an affirmation that there's something more beyond this world, right? The body dies, but the soul lives. It's this energy source. And I had to make sense of this. And when I went back home to my place in Chicago, I wasn't with that community that was grieving my mother. I was isolated. And I had such a difficult time in my grief because I had three young children. My father was distraught and I was not grieving for myself. And it was just a complicated process. And I felt so alone and I was so isolated. And I didn't understand why no one talked about death. I'm like, this is a significant part of my life. Like my life has forever changed. Where's the conversation about this, right? We talk about the facts of life, of productivity, you know, and and how babies are made, but then babies grow old and they die. And what does that look like? And it just really was a calling to me. It's like this conversation has to be shared. And I went to my minister at the church and we didn't have a grief support group. And that's how we got into the Stephen ministry so that there could be this conversation and walking with people who were grieving. And one thing led to the next. I was, you know, with all these different people through their journey of end of life illness or children, adult children who were grieving the loss of their parent and just realizing that this is a common denominator within all of our lives. We're all going to lose our parents. We're all going to lose friends. It's just so much a part of life. And so how do we move through it and what's going to sustain us? And so that's where all of this energy came from and this passion, because I don't want anyone to ever feel as isolated as I did. And they don't need to, because there is support, there is compassion. And ironically, there's the people in your lives that you think are going to be there for you sometimes aren't. And that feels like a whole nother loss as well. And then there's this 
beautiful surprise of people you didn't think you knew that well, but they have been through something and they come out of the woodwork and they hold you. So there's that yin and yang going on. But I want to make sure that people are supported. We have to get this grief conversation normalized and we need to be sympathetic to the symptoms and the feelings and the behaviors of grief because when you are freshly grieving, the world moves too quickly. You're not able to concentrate. You're not able to focus. You're irritable. You're not able to sleep or eat or, you know, all of these patterns are disrupted. And if we attend to those gently early, we're going to have a healthier grief and process the grief in a healthier way rather than denying it and burying it. And that's that's when bad things happen, right? When we shove it under the rug, it's where you get substance abuse and alcoholism and We think we're burying it, but what happens is it's actually growing and it's growing teeth because it will come back and bite you at a very inappropriate time when life is stressing you out in other ways. So that's what I'm trying to help people avoid because there's just the attention and the normalizing of it. I think 80% of people don't need clinical help through their grief. They just need to be witnessed and held. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.